Hello and welcome to this episode of Self Made. I'm your host, D Brown, CEO. Joining me today are entrepreneurs, West and Mill Michelle Henry. They are serial entrepreneurs that own a variety of businesses, uh, both in Illinois and Arizona. Mia, Wes, welcome to Self Made. I'm glad to have you all on the show today. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. So one of the things we do here is we try to set the stage so that our viewers can understand your journey. So I want to start by asking you about your early years. Growing up as a child, tell me about where you grew up and what your younger years were like. Well, I grew up in uh, Southern California, um, Monrovia, Duarte, Pasadena, and my parents were entrepreneurs and also activists during that time. And so I had a, a lot of loving people around me, supporting me and really training me in what to do now that, and where I am right now. Wes, what about you? I grew up in a small island called Trinidad and Tobago. So uh, very poor, you know, I think compared to the United States standard but very loving. Uh, my grandmother helped raise me, so was my aunt. And I came to the United States at the age of uh, 14. And I've been here ever since. So what was life like making that transition to the United States? Uh, at that age, you're in middle school, I'm assuming, and getting ready to transition to high school very soon. What was that like? Uh, in the Caribbean islands, we were much more relaxed. You know, I can go sit on a mango tree or a corva tree and just eat some fruits and, you know, go out, run around with my family. Yeah. I remember coming to the United States, and we also didn't have any drinking age, so to speak. Right. <laughs> uh, so I came to the United States, I had to learn and adapt to the rules and guidelines. Uh, so my mother was able to assist me. Uh, but um, uh, first time seeing snow was also a surprise. So, but I, I've, I've, I've adapted and um, done very well since then. So, Mia, what about you? What, what was high school, your early years, like growing up in Southern California? Um, well, because my dad owned a business, he had a, a commercial janitorial business, it was like we worked, you know. Um, I def definitely developed a working eth work ethic from him. Um, if I went, since I could pick up a trash can, then I would, I would do that or learn. And then remember one thing with my dad is that I always wanted to learn how to do windows. Because yeah. he's like, you're a champion when you do, can do windows. I never got to windows. Um, so I just, I, I love my life. And my family was very supportive. My mother and father worked together and they showed me what that looked like, um, what marriage looked like and working in, in a partnership, um, not only in a marriage, but in a business. Right. And so when did the two of you meet? Uh, it was by accident, actually. Uh, a blind date. Uh, I have a good friend of mine, which was the best man of my wedding. We went to college together. And um, we came in. And she happened to see me first. It was the setup was actually for him to meet her. So I was fortunate enough to, uh, to be that fellow. And um, uh, we just started talking after that. And the first uh, date was a family reunion. So I had to meet the whole family. <laughs> Didn't expect that. You're gonna sink or swim. Uh, oh man. <laughs> so that, that I, I did qualify. So, yeah. uh, uh, and, that, and that's, how it, that's how it began. And, uh, is that how you recall it, Mia? Well, not quite. <laughs> no, it was a blind date. I didn't know who I was going to meet because my girlfriend had told me, you know, just some nice guys want to meet a nice lady. So I said, ah, okay, why not? Free meal. Um, <laughs> and when he walked in, uh, I was actually, it was love at first sight. Never believed in that. Really? Um, but just heard that this is going to be your husband. 
And I was like, what? And I actually went quiet. I talk a lot. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and I said nothing at, at the date. I just kind of sat there and was, was really quiet. And, and here we are, 25 years later, still married. So talk to me about your early education. I'm, I know you are an educator uh, by uh, background. And you, um, Wes, had time in aviation. So tell me about your educational journey and how you ended up in aviation and, and education. And Bill, I'll let you go first. Um, well, my mother was an educator, and um, I think I, you know, as a little kid, I was always like having my dolls set up and teaching them and stuff. So I went into education, it seemed like a natural fit, and I love children, and just that's just how it how it ended up. I never thought I was going to go into take education and then go into counseling and then go into being an entrepreneur. Um, I just thought I'd always be a teacher because um, I do love I love teaching people. So um, did that. But once I got into school, I realized how many of the students really needed. They were dealing with other traumas and stuff, and I couldn't teach them before I got to their heart. Right. So I, that's why I decided to go back and get my degree in um, in counseling, and and I love that. So. And so, Wes, uh, you were in aviation. Talk to me about that. Yes, I, uh, I went to Catholic school, and uh, I wanted to go into um, the academy, the Air Force Academy. So I didn't know the protocol. Uh, obviously, it was not being formed properly, so my alternative was to go to aeronautic school. So I wanted to be a pilot. I was told that uh, there's a cost factor involved. Right. <laughs> so uh, I, I choose uh, avionics instead. So I worked in aircrafts, uh, doing modification, EFA system, autopilots, you know, going and doing stall warning tests uh, for a number of years. And, and I transitioned out of that. So I, uh, I, as, I, as, I, as I got a little older, I, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. So I transformed and I, and I went into uh, air, um, uh, financial services, uh, insurance. And um, I did that for a couple of years uh, before um, I started uh, my business in uh, owning, set up and owning a couple of markets, mini markets. And uh, that's what led us into other opportunities. So talk to me about your mini market business. Where, where were they located in? They were in Arizona. Um, there's a number of, uh, uh, we call women infant children, which is WIC. And um, there was a, a niche market for them, uh, rather than going on to the grocery stores and waiting in lines. Um, uh, what we decided to do was specifically uh, cater to that client. So uh, my son, which who is now 33, having his own business now, uh, assisted me in doing so. And uh, we went on, we solicited, we get those clients. They came in uh, for their products. Most of the products were already uh, set up for them. So they just give us a call, contacted us, we provided to them. So that's how we, uh, we started. Uh, and um, we had the event up happened about four to five of those markets, and uh, later on we, you know, we uh, the, the, we no longer have them. We we just got rid of them, and we we move into another uh, business sector. So, what was your uh, biggest challenge? You know, moving from Trinidad, uh, going through uh, avionics uh, training, and then into entrepreneurship. What did you find to be your, your biggest challenge? Uh, the biggest challenge was always, always funding. So a lot of it has to be saving our own fund to be self-fund. Right. And um, that was always a challenge. That's uh, the ability to want it to scale and having to find the capital and, you know, and the individuals to do so, to, to help. Right. Uh, that was the biggest challenge. But for me, um, I've never been the person that wanted to get into business to do things and, and, and just for making a lot of money and buying nice things. 
I have a, I have a saying that is that if we stop trying to impress for what, for, based upon what we possess and do the best we can to help those that are in distress, right. which is our communities, then that is more purpose-driven. So I became more purpose-driven in the things in which I look, try to accomplish from a business standpoint. Mia, tell me about your journey from education to entrepreneurship. How did you make that leap? Well, uh, in the early years um, of education, it, was, it allowed me to stay home with my kids mm -hmm. and it allowed Wesley to do, be the entrepreneur because, I mean, let's face it, when you start off, a lot of times we talk about the challenges, but also, you know, you may not have the money for, to, to just create a stable life. We right. have four children, right. so um, I stayed in schools. And as the kids started getting older, and I think also just the distress of teaching in that environment, and not really able, being able to be free and do the things that I really wanted to do and I could see it would make a, a bigger difference. Um, Wesley, I would come home and Wesley would be like, you just need to start your own thing. Yeah. And I was like, you know, no. I mean, you always think, no, this, I, I would need more. I don't know, I'm not a business person. I, I wouldn't know what to do. Um, and then um, this opportunity came available. He saw a building. It was a daycare before. I had been a, a childcare consultant with my mother and the building was a mess. It had been empty, and so he came to me and said, do you want to start a daycare? I was like, absolutely not. <laughs> I, I want to leave Tucson when the kids get graduate, and I want to be out of here. And he came back a couple times, and the building was still there, and I just trusted that I was supposed to do that. And it's been operating about seven years um, successfully. Um, it's trauma-informed, and, and yeah, I, it, was, it was the scariest leap, but once I did, it was a natural, because I took my natural skills from education, right. put it into my school, and now I'm, you know, my focus is really breaking the pipeline to prison um, for our, our students, and they're they are doing fabulous. So, so tell me more about your daycare business. What's the what's the name of the daycare? And talk to me more about what you're doing to break that pipeline to prison. So, um, uh, the childcare is called Growing Steps Childcare Center. It's in Tucson, and um, basically allowing children. We know when they don't read at a certain age that that is a pipeline to prison if they don't read by third grade. Right. Um, and so basically pulling those, making sure they're reading, having those skills, reading books to them and things of that nature. So that's, I mean, basically just being at a daycare that's valuable and right. the daycare that has a quality in the, in the um, neighborhood. A lot of childcare centers people can't afford. So they go to, you know, home daycares. Not to say that those are bad, but a lot of times they don't have um, the foundation of education to be able to pour into the children so that when they go to school, they're ready and prepared. Right. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so, Wes, uh, is this a joint venture between you and your wife as far as the child care, or do you have your own separate ventures going? Uh, well, she's the boss. She's always going to be the boss. I'm sure you know that. <laughs> uh, so, yes, it's, it's her, her daycare, even though I'm uh, participated. Um, uh, I've been in sales for, for a very long time. And uh, uh, my son and I, we started a solar company, which he runs uh, currently in Arizona uh, successfully. And um, we wanted to find the right people to run the daycare so we can go in places and do, as I say, purpose-driven. Right. Uh, uh, so that's what brought us here to Illinois uh, with one village. And, and we came into that together when we purchased the building and, and, and you know, put in, put in a business plan together uh, to help the community because we saw, as I said, in distress, we yeah. saw a community that needed. And uh, I said, okay, hon, that will take care of itself. Let's go ahead and, and, and transition into something a little bit that you want to do that I can get support behind. And so, that's what brought us here. So Mia, tell me about One Village. 
So my idea for One Village is really, um, as a, what I learned as a therapist, is that you know not only do you go to the therapist maybe one hour a week, yeah. but then in the rest of the day you need to be be in community. And so my idea was actually to create a space where we have a wellness center there, and then other spaces where people can be. Um, you know, throughout the week or the day where they can connect with one another. So they're also, so One Village is going to be located in the East Bluff area in Peoria, Illinois. Um, and that's an area that has a large um, African-American population. My work is really about historical and generational tra um, breaking trauma and breaking those um, those patterns so that we can live in a, a thriving life and no longer in the, in the survival. Um, so... Um, they can have therapy there. There'll be a, a coffee shop where people can come and work. And at night, there can be spaces for them to do spoken word and those type of things. And all of our spaces really are by black people with black people in mind, where all are welcome. Um, and so um, spaces, you know, I've gone to places and, you know, didn't feel comfortable being in a space because it didn't feel like I was welcome. And so we want to create spaces where people can come where they can feel, feel welcome. So that with the coffee shop, there also be a market with fresh fruits and vegetables. Um, our experience with the markets, we realized that okay. you know we need to have healthy food um, because you're, if your food is not right, your mind's not right, right? Right. Yes. And so providing that, um, that is a and um, in that area, it's a food desert. Um, it has you know markets that are selling alcohol and that kind of stuff, but not really healthy foods for families. Right. And then we'll have a, a recording studio. Um, uh, we have partners that are were once with death row, and so they're coming in and helping us set that up um, because we know a lot of youth have a lot of creativity, being able to come and do podcasts and and um, you know share their mu music. And then last thing, a beauty shop, bar barber shop, because you know the ladies and the men like <laughs> to be pampered a little bit. Right. So. so where did this vision come from? What inspired you to put this plan in motion? Uh, I think just my family. I mean, my family, my father's are just always um, working so hard that I realized that I could do that as well. And, and then going places and, and feel, not feeling like welcome or only seeing myself. So um, I'm a creator just by nature. I like to create all kinds of things and, and business is just creation. Right. You know, seeing what you want to create and, and what you want in the world. And if it's not there in the world, then create it. Right. Um, and also places where, you know, um, our dollars can be can stay in our community. Um, I used to train with. Um, I used to went to used to go to the conference with um, George Floyd. Uh, George. George Fraser. George Fraser, um, and and I learned like learned by going to him that if black people own more businesses, then we get to hire who we want as well. And we can open that door up because other other people have those, and they're you know they hire their people first, and our people are hired last. A lot of times. Yes, absolutely. So, Wes, you, you've mentioned several times about being purpose-driven. Um, talk to me about what that means to you. Um, within our community, uh, you know, we, we spend money already. I mean, this is HBCU, so three of our children. My daughter goes to Howard. We have two sons that attended our Morehouse. Uh, and, you know, so, right. and that's, and purpose-driven to me is... Um, you can make all the money you want to make, uh, drive the nice cars, buy the nice house. After that, what? Who, who do you have to impress? So purpose-driven to me is doing something that our community can basically have a hold on. And that is going into the community, doing things, teaching them to change their attitude. Uh, when we look at, uh, uh, from a prison standpoint, that's what you talk about with our right. school, 
Uh, I don't think a lot of the, stu the, the youths understand that they, pay, they get paid two cents to 40 cents an hour to work. Right. So why do the things to go in there to do that? So they don't know that. And it starts with our thinking. So my goal is to change the mindset and to belief of, you know, so it, everything yeah. begins with that. So my purpose is truly to do what I can to, to change the mindset of community, but more in the youths. And the way to do that is to go hands-on. And in sales, I've done door-to-door, -door, so I have no problem going directly and have a communications uh, with individuals. And that's, and that's what I like doing. So uh, money come and go, you will die and leave it, but obviously it's important. It's an yeah. important resource, but uh, that's how I feel. So that's, that's what I do. No, absolutely. In other words, that the, the work that you're doing um, supersedes financial gain. Absolutely. Uh, exclusively. Absolutely. There's a, there's a, a higher purpose, higher calling. Absolutely. Emil, you, you mentioned um, about trying to deal with generational trauma. Talk to me about generational trauma and the type of um, things that communities of color, children of color, have had to deal with that you're trying to combat with your programs? Yeah, so I, um, for 500 years plus, we've been dealing with survival. And now is the time for us to really, um, where we were thriving, there's opportunities that are available, but um, they're showing now, science is backing up the fact that it's, um, that, you know, things are left in your DNA from your ancestors. So the fear of actually being seen and going, stepping out there and creating your own things, mm -hmm. that, that has to be dealt with and it can be very painful. So um, the kind of work we wanna do is one, build more capacity for uh, therapists. Um, so we'll be a training center. The, um, our center will be a training center for other therapists to be culturally competent because um, black people are coming out of of um, all of this segregation. I, even with the Joyce Floyd, it triggered me after that. And so I realized even more how important my work was to be done is that if I can help one person heal from, and one family break a, 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 any kind of things we're seeing in patterns with our eating habits, rather it's about abuse in, the, in our homes, um, healing from that and having a healthy family so that we can all thrive, that's our ultimate goal. You know, it's, it's pretty well, I think, documented in, in, in African-American uh, communities that oftentimes uh, people deal with traumatic situations, whether it is uh, abuse by a relative, uh, sexual, physical, uh, verbal, and oftentimes uh, those abuses go unreported. And so people get older and they have that trauma uh, that they live with and they try to figure out ways to deal with it. I've, I've heard people talk about having, you know, nervous breakdowns later in life uh, from dealing with trauma that happened earlier uh, in, their, in their childhood. And so my question to you is that if you're talking to someone who may have been a victim of these traumas, uh, again, whether it's physical abuse or sexual abuse by a, a friend, loved one, uh, babysitter, et cetera, what kind of advice would you give them? Well, one, I would give them the advice that, you know, we, can he we all can heal, um, but we have to start somewhere. So one, getting support. Um, what I know about our community is that we, I mean, after enslavement, we, all we had was churches. 
and churches has been a great place, but now we're recognizing that we need something more specific to be, be able to heal all of the traumas. And not only that, the traumas we still deal with. Right. You know, to go into a place and be um, followed around, that's traumatic. Have microaggressions, that's traumatic on top of your own tra traumas, right? right? And a lot of times people um, have suppressed those so long, and why you see them coming up is maybe you have the space to be able to heal now. And so what do you do with that is you have to get into to places that are, are healing people. You can go to healing circles. I, I'm a big believer um, personally for myself in meditation and um, breath work. Um, we probably don't even know, realize that most of the time we're holding our breath even though we're breathing and that's the most essential thing in our lives is to be able to take a breath and yeah. be able to lean into the pain that you have had and know that you can, it's okay to feel, it's okay to cry. Now it's not okay to get mad and tear up everything, but you know. Right, right. <laughs> but learning skills to be able to yes. deal with your emotions. Absolutely. Yes. And so Wes, um, you know, you've been in sales and business for quite some time. Yes. And so if you're talking to a young entrepreneur that's thinking about, you know, getting out there trying to chart their own course, uh, what advice would you give? Um, the first advice is something I've learned. I've, I make a lot of statements in reference point, and um, it's it's most of us fear is, is disguised. Absolutely, you know. I often said, uh, fear puts your focus on appearance rather than potential, which you have, which we all of us have, right, and prevents you from taking risk. And risk is something you must take in order to accomplish your goals and dreams. So, uh, the first advice. Uh, I will give uh, that young man is that he must take risk. And secondly, he must have a belief in order to basically get rid of that fear. So uh, you don't know what's there until you take action. Right. So, uh, uh, so that's what I will do. But also times they need a, a hand. You know, as we always say, you need a hands up rather than a hand out. Right. Uh, so those are two basic things I will tell that young man or that young woman. Uh, is to, uh, to align themselves uh, in, 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 in the belief system. And that is reading books. That is, uh, that is finding a, 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 a sort of a mentorship or anyone that can participate, and it exists. And uh, in doing so, that belief system transcends, and then you take action, and uh, it eliminates that fear. And that is, that is, that is the biggest thing I can say. Well, you know, I tell people all the time, I think the fear of failure is the number one uh, prohibitor yep. to people really achieving their success. Yes. And I always kind of make this comparison, it, you know, to, to success being like a pot of gumbo, <laughs> right? And, 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 you know, failure and fear, all that goes into that pot, but yes. you just have to accept the fact that you may, you may fail. Absolutely. It's almost like, it's, like, it's like fleas in a jar. You yeah. know, there's this analogy of fleas in a jar, which means that if you take a jar and you put fleas in that jar and cover it, those fleas are gonna to try to get out often. Right. And what's gonna happen, they're gonna keep it in their head. Right. And after a while, you can take that cover off and the flea will never jump out of the jar. Right. Well, I think that's the barrier that we all face growing up in this environment. We, 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 have, a, we have a stop and we don't know what's beyond that. Right. So taking that risk and going be a little bit, you know what? You're no longer flea in a jar. Right. No one is stopping you, you just have to go for it and give it a shot. And you're absolutely I, right about yeah, that. I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. So my, my question to you all, and I think you may have different perspectives here, yeah. same question, but husband and wife, what is it like working together as partners, even though we know who the boss is? Yeah. Right? <laughs> I, have, I have a talk show and 
imagine by myself, <laughs> I don't run this. <laughs> um, I think it's awesome because um, we're, we're constantly talking, when we're creatives, we're always talking to each other to have, like, he's my best friend, he's my business partner, and he's my husband. That's, that's, that's a win all three ways around. Right. So I think uh, keeping things separate has been, is, a, is the most important thing. We keep our business and, and our, our marriage separate from that, you know, and we don't take that into, the, into our, our marriage. And, and so I think that way it, it works, you know. Um, and then also he has the things that he does and the things that I have, and we're just extra support for each other in those areas. Gotcha. Conversation, a lot of communication, you know, you know, there, there are things that, uh, that you can throw there that would, that your wife will probably, you know, that, that makes sense and vice versa. And I think a lot of communication or conversation sets precedent to what, uh, you can do to succeed. And, um, and success comes in, in, in many different ways, not just monetarily. Right. but also in every aspect of life. And, uh, and that's a goal, you know. Once the kids are gone, they say, let's do what we gotta do and don't have them, they'll come back. But right. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I think it's, it's great. It's great having that partnership, uh, just keeping everything separate. So you talk about uh, pur being purpose driven. Mm -hmm. You talk about dealing with generational trauma. Uh, at the end of the day, what is your, what do you want your legacy to be as relate to fulfilling those purposes and, and accomplishing your goals? That's a good question. I think when I'm, I, we also often think about that, like we're on the little rocking chair together and I'm looking out of what we've created and um, my legacy would be to, to leave um, really culturally competent therapists who are, able, who are equipped to deal with all types of people, black, brown, indigenous people, recognize that um, trauma. If I could see that, if I could just see like a bunch of those, and then opportunities for black people to go to, to therapy. Um, that would be, I'd be happy sitting there. Absolutely. Well, look, it has been a pleasure Thank you. having the two of you on Self Made. I'm happy that you took time out of your busy schedule to be here with me. Absolutely. And I look forward to uh, visiting. Uh, your uh, one village once it's completed. Love and so thank you so Love very much. And to my viewers, thank you for watching Self Made with D Brown CEO. And remember, without you, there's no me.